Hello, and welcome to the Criterion Quest. My name is Chris, and it has been a minute. Um, yeah, it has been quite some time since the last episode, so uh, apologies for that. Uh, but I figured I'd take a minute here at the top to kind of explain why I've been a little bit... I'll just say it's slack in getting an episode out. A um, couple of reasons. Like, one, um, mainly I love doing these with a co-host, and uh, some of you may have noticed that our regular co-host Lee has been a little MIA for the past uh, couple of months. Uh, more on that in a minute or two. But uh, the main reason I haven't been able to put out uh, any episodes over the last month or so is mainly because I have been working my butt off. Um, I have been absolutely flat out at my uh, day job. Uh, we're releasing a film uh, come Boxing Day, uh, so in about a couple of weeks' time here in Australia, and it's uh, it's a lot of work. <laughs> um, so I've been uh, very, very busy with uh, organising all of that, uh, working working real hard, and uh, hopefully um, it all pays off. But that has sort of been the reason why I've been a little bit behind in the release schedule of these episodes, um, just because, yeah, long hours at work and uh, busy, busy time. But hopefully now, um, in the coming weeks, obviously, with the film being released, that's going to kind of ease up a bit for me, and I'll be able to get back to a little bit more of a uh, regular scheduled programming. Um, but yeah, how, how's everybody been doing? You, you been doing good? I, I hope so. Um, it's been an interesting couple of weeks, like with, uh, movies being released. We're really ramping up into that kind of end of year, like great movies coming out kind of time of year. Um, yeah, let me just see. Have I, have I seen anything kind of really interesting lately? Um, God, yeah. I mean, since I, I forget, honestly, I forget since the last time, I did a record uh, what I've seen, so I'll just rattle off some stuff that uh, that I've seen recently that I really, really enjoyed. Um, right off the bat, I'm going to hit it hard with James Gray's Armageddon Time. Um, this is a film that I, I... I'm a big James Gray fan. Um, loved Ad Astra, loved Two Lovers, uh, going way back when even to The Yards and stuff, uh, some of his earlier films. Been a big, big fan of his, and Armageddon Time is a film that I just really got into. Um, I, it's one I've heard a lot of people say is being kind of marketed weirdly, and I don't, it's one where, like, I don't know how you would market this type of film, but for what it is, this brilliant little kind of character study and mood piece, um, you know, obviously dealing with some heavy themes like racism and immigration and all of that kind of, oh, immigrants, I should say, the immigrant life, um, that, you know, all of that aside, I think it is a beautifully constructed little memoir of a film and with amazing performances. And I know it kind of hasn't had as many eyeballs as people would have hoped, but, um, you know, I that's one that I would highly recommend people check out. That's that's solidly firm on my uh, end of year list. Uh, what else have we got on the list? Um, the Banshees of Inisherin, uh, the new Martin McDonough film. Uh, I am a unabashed huge fan, huge fan of uh, Martin McDonough's previous works. Um, you know, all the discourse around three billboards aside, I still love that film. Um, this one, um, didn't quite know what to expect. Um, it's what I really need to watch again, I think, to really kind of get the impact and kind of devour it as, as best as I can. Um, it, it's nowhere near as light and fun as how, uh, the trailer makes it look 
to possibly be. Um, I would say it's more kind of in line with some of his uh, theatre work. Uh, if you've ever seen or read any of his plays, um, The Pillowman, uh, The Be- uh, Behanding in Spokane, uh, things like that. Um, there's this kind of really sad and somber, creeping melancholy throughout the entire film. Uh, it's very kind of dark, but it is an incredibly interesting story with brilliant performances, um, in particular by Colin Farrell. He's he's really going for it in this one, and I think he's absolutely fantastic. Um, like I said, it's one that I really can't wait to watch again uh, when that one sort of comes out in cinemas properly here. That's, yeah, that's going to be high up there for me. Um, I guess the only other one I'll quickly breeze through. What have we got? God, it has been a while. Uh, The only other one I'll mention quickly uh, before we kind of move away from all that and dive into this week's episode is the new Luca Guadagnino film, Bones and All, uh, starring Taylor Russell and Timothy Chalamet. I fucking loved this movie. Um, I, it is one where it's, uh, watching it, I'm like, I, I 100% this is, get that this is a film not for everybody. Um, in my cinema screening, uh, there was quite a few walkouts, to be honest. Um, you know, it's, it's a love story road movie about cannibals. Um, so it's got some very, very full on and graphic imagery in regards to that. But if like, I mean, I'm no stranger to horror and all of that kind of gore and graphic stuff. So that didn't bother me at all. But once it, it, the film really gets moving in with its emotional arc and its story, I just couldn't get enough of it. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, it reminded me a lot of uh, Badlands, the Terrence Malick film, um, kind of, but kind of shot through Luca's lens, obviously, and his kind of point of view. Um, set in the '80s as well, which is probably why that kind of period piece Americana kind of coming in there. Amazing score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross that I haven't been able to stop listening to ever since I've seen it. Um, this one I, I, I absolutely adored. Um, it's one that. After seeing it, I just keep thinking about it more and more and more, and I cannot wait to watch it again. And this will become a kind of, I think, one of, one of, out of the 2022 films, one of the ones kind of right up there with alongside Everything Everywhere and Top Gun that's going to kind of become a regular rotation kind of rewatch for me just because I, I enjoyed it so, so much. Um, so those are a couple of quick little recommendations of either stuff that's out now or is uh, coming in the very near future. But uh, let's get down to some really pressing matters. Uh, the, the fact that um, our wonderful co-host here, Lee, has been MIA for a couple of months now. Uh, she's popped up on a few of the uh, Patreon commentaries still. Uh, she's still been doing a few of those here and there. But in terms of the regular episode feed, she's been noticeably absent. So uh, I'm not going to try and explain it. Uh, let's hear it from herself in her own words as to why. All right, so we are sitting here about to record our next Patreon commentary. And holy shit, Lee's in front of a microphone. (laughs) (laughs) So I I had mentioned to you, uh, so listeners, there is proof Lee is still alive. Um, Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Either that or Toby's just really good at throwing his voice. Um, But yeah, we we thought this might be a nice opportunity to uh, let everyone know where where you've been and where where you're going to be. Yes. I, um, I'm not dead, as uh, previously stated, apparently. 
Um, yeah, Claire was working well on that ruse, kind of establishing that rumour. Yeah, but no, I've been with child. Yes, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, yes. No, I've been. it's been a rough trot, so I haven't been on the podcast, but yeah, I've got less than a month left. Nice, yeah, so... This is a special pop-in, but not a... Yes. Uh, <laughs> a nice final farewell for however long yes. we're, we're going to see, but hopefully we'll eventually get you back on. Yeah. Um, you have not missed much. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say there's maybe been two that you would have liked, but yeah, otherwise it's... Yeah. Has there been some samurais? <laughs> yeah, I just finished off doing a box set of samurai movies. Oh. Claire joined me for one of them, because it was from the dude who made Harakiri, and it yeah. fucking ruled. Yeah. <laughs> it was called Samurai Rebellion. It was fantastic. Um, yeah. The only other one, you would have really, I think, liked the Mike Lee film Naked with David Thewlis. Yeah, I saw the poster for that and I'm like, Ugh. Yeah, you would have dug that one, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, otherwise, yeah, I haven't, haven't missed much. Yeah. But uh, I'll let you know now what, I'm, what I've decided I'm going to do because we've got some real good shit coming up. Um, I'm going to leapfrog over a couple of films and save them for when you're, you're uh, willing and able to come back. Cool. Mainly, uh, there's a film from the dude who made Oh Hazard Balthazar, and I want to see how you fucking react oh, to it. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a donkey. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I saw a fucking remake of it, by the way, at the film festival, wow. and it was great. Oh. It was all told from the donkey's perspective. There was donkey vision. <laughs> I shit you not. Donkey POV shots. It yeah. was great. It sounds like a porn. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're thinking of donkey show POV. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, we just thought we'd jump in quickly, uh, explain for everybody, and yeah, kind of wish you luck for the for the next chapter and how everything's Good going. Good luck! <laughs> Thanks! <laughs> and on that uh, insincere, oh, that was mentally sad. challenged voice, let's dive into Forrest Gump! That was a Forrest Gump good luck. Alrighty, so there we have it. There is the, uh, the explanation as to uh, why Lee has been absent for so many months. Um, but yeah, as, as we said there, wishing her and uh, her husband Josh all the best with the, uh, with the new arrival in their family. Uh, but yeah, like we said in, the, in that little clip there, we are, we're hoping to get her back on uh, once kind of, you know, things have settled and, you know, adjusted and everything. And once the, the baby's here and doing okay. So uh, look forward to that, hopefully, in the coming months. But... Uh, the other thing, I suppose, as well, is in that little thing, uh, I threw out to her the idea of, um, and I think I'd floated it on a previous episode as well, the idea of kind of leapfrogging over some certain titles and kind of saving them for when she came back. Um, I had to think about that, and I could not be bothered. I just wanted to plow ahead and keep going, uh, mainly because, fuck it, I, I'd never seen Pickpocket, and I really was in the mood to watch Pickpocket. So uh, we're just going to keep plowing ahead uh, in the collection as per usual. Um, and I'm hoping to, um, I'm organizing some interesting guests and uh, some return guests and stuff coming up uh, for some of those future titles while Lee is away still. Um, but on that note, how about we jump into this week's film, Robert Brisson's 1959 film Pickpocket. This incomparable story of crime and redemption from French master Robert Bresson follows Michel, a young pickpocket who spends his days working the streets, subway cars, and train stations of Paris. 
As his compulsive pursuit of the thrill of stealing grows, however, he does fear that his luck is about to run out. A cornerstone of the career of this most economical and profoundly spiritual filmmaker, Pickpocket is an elegantly crafted, tautly choreographed study of humanity in all its mischief and grace, the work of a director at the height of his powers. Just jumping in here quickly with a quick editorial note. Um, Stupidly, while I finished reading the synopsis there while recording, I accidentally uh, knocked the audio levels. Uh, So for the next minute or two, uh, I'll say the audio, my audio will sound a little bit crunchy, we'll say. Um, But don't worry, I do notice it and adjust the levels and it gets back to normal. So uh, just bear with me for the first few minutes there. Uh, Anyway, back to the episode. Alrighty, so Pickpocket, Robert Brisson, 1959. Uh, This is a film that I had always heard a lot about, but had never actually gotten around to seeing it. And I don't know if, I I think that's a lot of the case for most of Brisson's films with me, to be honest. I've never really taken the time to dive into his filmography. He's he's one of those names you always hear kind of talked about as an absolute master or tour and a legend of cinema that you all need to go and watch. But it really is through this podcast that has kind of led me to actually discover some of his films. Um, and for someone who was such a master of cinema, he, he doesn't actually have that big a filmography, which is kind of nice as well. Like that, you know, the easy example to go to is Kubrick, where it's like this finite number of films that a director has that kind of, you know, shows everyone what they're made of. And I guess you could put Brisson into that same category. Um, but looking through his filmography, the only ones that I have actually seen beforehand uh, the ones, as I said, that we've done through the podcast. So, my initial introductions to Brisson were Diary of a Country Priest and La Dame du Bois de Boulogne, um, which, I'm, I'm sorry, my French pronunciation there was probably terrible, but whatever, I'm trying my best. <laughs> um, but I remember, uh, in particular, Diary of a Country Priest was my first um, kind of foray into the films of Robert Brisson. And he's a filmmaker that has such a unique style. I mean, to give another example, I mean, there's been a few filmmakers over the course of, you know, the eight years, nine years, however long we've been doing this show, where being exposed to one or two of their films initially has kind of made made me kind of put my back up, I I guess, sort of hearing that these people are absolute masters and kind of viewing their films individually in a bubble, like separated from the context of their career and their kind of visual style, this kind of being thrown into the deep end with it, makes me kind of not connect with it as well as I probably could if I had that wider context. Like, And I think, you know, they're a good, fantastic example of that is Bergman. I think initially on with the Bergman films, um, you know, it, it's you can't help but marvel at the style and the construction of them. But it, it, it took me a couple of films until I finally got into the rhythm of, oh shit, I get what a Bergman film is. I understand his style and what he does and how he constructs a film. And now I love them. Um, I mean, another prime example of that would probably be Antonioni, who, or, and I mean, and uh, shit, John Luc Godard as well. Like, the, the absolute struggle that I have, even still to this day with a lot of his films, yet there are those few odd examples like contempt that I absolutely adore 
And I think Persona is a filmmaker that kind of falls into that category where kind of having your first exposure to him as a filmmaker being Diary of a Country Priest and Le Dame de Bois de Boulogne is... Like, while those are his second and third films, respectively, they're kind of not what you would choose as your go-to Brisson titles, I guess. You know, you'd lean more towards Pickpocket, Alhazard, Balthazar, I mean, shit, even Mouchette and uh, Legente, I've heard a lot about as well. And, I mean, a great one that I cannot wait to watch, actually, is A Man Escaped. I have heard that film is absolutely amazing, and it's actually one that, um, fuck the podcast, I think I'm going to be sitting down to watch uh, sooner rather than later, just especially since it is the film that kind of leads in to Pickpocket, which uh, we're talking about today. Um, so initial thoughts, basically coming in off of this, we recently, uh, within the last year, we had covered Ohazard Balthazar, which if you listen to that episode was kind of a divisive film for us, where if you've seen the film, you know it's not exactly an easy film to watch. There's a lot of kind of cruelty to both humans and animals within that film, which is not an easy sit. But at the same time, the artistry that goes into creating that story and kind of what the don- what Balthazar himself, as well as the, um, his, his female carer and the people that he interacts with, what that's saying in its narrative structure is really interesting and something you can't help but kind of latch onto and connect with. And I, I still really like that film. I know Lee had a harder time with it than I did, and uh, which was kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of save this episode until she was back um, to kind of give her another example of Brisson that isn't kind of uh, Le Dame de Bois and Ohazard Balthazar, these kind of not impenetrable, but kind of films that have a bit of a hurdle that you have to get over to kind of really get into the nuts and bolts of. Um, and I think Pickpocket is a lot simpler in the way that it gets all of that across. And I don't know if that kind of simpler way of getting things across is what made me enjoy this film so much, or whether or not it was me being kind of more accustomed to the type of filmmaking and the style that Brisson is bringing to the table here. But all of that being said, I really enjoyed pickpocket um it is one that i get how it can be very div- uh kind of divisive like where people like some people really don't dig it and others absolutely love it um i'm kind of in that middle ground it is a solid solid like three and a half four <laughs> if i were to rate this on letterboxd um but it is one where it perfectly kind of balances the the kind of intensity that you kind of feel and the suspense when the pickpocketing and those kind of thief scenes are happening with the beautiful quieter moments of introspection from the character and that I think is what really makes this film shine is those little moments of Michelle just adjusting the levels a bit there um, I'd always heard about the very kind of literal, almost like c- the cinema verite style of filmmaking that uh, Brisson used uh, in particular in this film, and I think to a lesser degree, but still very present in uh, A Man Escaped. And I was kind of intrigued to see how I'd react to it, because a lot of the verite style, I think it can be, when utilized well, I find it really engaging. But a lot of the time as well, I can find it as a kind of distraction, I guess. This this kind of 
the pseudo documentary and that kind of very naturalistic feel, I think, can really uh, lead viewers to disconnect from a film if it's handled poorly. But Brisson manages to balance the two, like that, sorry, that tone and style so perfectly with this film to kind of really highlight that this film isn't a film about pickpockets, really. I mean, you know, given Michelle is our central character, and that is, you know, for lack of a better word, his occupation. But he, it, it's really more about the introspective life and the kind of soul of this character and what leads someone to kind of pursue this lifestyle. And by utilizing the Verite style, I think it's absolutely a spot, like a supreme example of like using that correctly to help kind of naturalistically present this type of story to some to the audience and help us to engage with the character. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just looking down at my notes that I um wrote while I was watching the film and I've got written down here, so far this film is fluctuating consistently between utterly gripping and relatively dull. And I think that that's kind of maintains throughout the whole rest of the film and that sounds like a put down, but I think it's actually kind of a compliment because as I was saying, it's those relatively dull moments that end up becoming as the film progresses along as gripping to me as the pickpocketing scenes. They're, they're the moments where you kind of are sitting there trying to get an understanding of who Michelle is as a character, where he's going, what this is all leading towards. And the fact that we never really get much of a firm answer for it is all the more kind of satisfying I find and it really helps like obviously there is a one film in particular that we'll get into later on that really really uh, draws heavily on this film and it's actually one of my favorites of all time and I think that's kind of helping me connect with this film as well uh fuck it I'll just say it now it is uh, Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver uh, obviously, this is a huge, 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 uh, inf- like, Pickpocket is a huge influence on that film, the kind of quiet examination of a man who is kind of isolated, uh, the recurring voiceover and things, and the kind of slow degradation of psyche and understanding of, like, this long journey into the soul. But before we get kind of further into that kind of taxi driver rabbit hole, um, I'm just going to say now, uh, with this episode and this film in particular, like, I'm, I'm pretty much calling my shot where, like, all roads will lead to taxi driver, <laughs> um, just because I love that film so much, and it kind of helped put this one into, I guess, a more modern-y context for me, and it kind of, it, having it be so similar to a film that I love so much is, really helped me connect, I guess. But before we get into any of that, I, I did want to bring up, I doing again a bit more research into this one, um, apparently Brisson got the idea for this film uh, when he was watching Sam Fuller's uh, amazing film, Pick Up on South Street. Um, if you haven't seen that one, it's in the collection. It is a fucking fantastic uh, film noir done by Samuel Fuller starring Richard Widmark. Um, so in the film, uh, Widmark plays a small-time thief, a petty thief, and uh, in the opening scene of the film, we see him picking pockets uh, on board a train. Um, what's kind of cool about this, though, the fact that, obviously, Brisson seeing this, like, with Pick Up on South Street, it is firmly, firmly rooted into the film, into film noir. Um, you know, the every kind of element that you come to expect from a film noir is present in that film. The epic lighting, the crime stories, the femme fatale, it's all in there. And what's kind of interesting about Brisson seeing 
pick up on South Street and connecting so hard with one specific element of it and then kind of adapting that, taking that inspiration and creating a film that is pretty much diametrically opposed to pick up on South Street in almost every regard. Taking that kind of film noir and then transposing it into an almost verite documentary style is really interesting. Uh, the notion that, yeah, Bresson sees this film, latches onto that one key factor, and then removing it from all sense of a heightened theatricality and that kind of bombastic cinematic flair uh, to instead ground it in like this really kind of sad reality that Michelle inhabits. Um, it's, it's what makes this film so kind of fascinating. Um, he even goes so far, like, you know, with typically in the film noirs and using Pickup on South Street as the example, with that one, uh, Fuller creates an anti-hero in Richard Widmark's character. Um, but what Brisson does instead, he, instead of making an anti-hero, he instead makes Michelle a mournful one. Um, we don't necessarily root for Michelle to win as the kind of film goes on. Like, I mean, honestly, we don't you get the sense that Michelle himself doesn't even want to win. He's just kind of waiting for the inevitability when he finally gets caught, and that will then kind of forcibly move him on to the next chapter. Um, but, th uh, but through the way in which Brisson feeds the kind of narrative through Michelle, um, exposing him for what he kind of truly is, this lost soul looking for meaning and purpose, um, we can't help but kind of connect with him and then through that again like, empathize with him as a character. That's our kind of connection through to him and into the film. Uh, I would say all the more so when you get into those scenes kind of where it's, you know, him sitting down and or either talking about or kind of having the few interactions with his mother. And then, of course, more importantly, um, his interactions and his kind of longing for Jean, um, which who we haven't really brought up yet. But, yeah, she is a very central character into the, in this film, um, basically adding into this added additional longing and kind of lost nature of Michelle he's unable to kind of she's this unattainable item and similar to like you know the stuff that he steals it's you know it's forcing this pickpocketing is kind of forcing him or allowing him to obtain the unattainable uh for himself um let's move on shall we Sorry, you can't see me, because I'm, but I'm fist pumping in the air. Like, next chapter, let's do it. Moving on. Uh, another big thing with Robert Brisson films, I know, is um, a lot of people kind of always go to that typical argument of style over substance. And it's an argument that I get why... I understand why that can be a bad thing when you are fully delving into 100% style and absolutely no substance. Um, you know, I don't want to throw any modern day filmmakers under the bus, but you can think of some good examples of those, I would say. Um, Brisson, I think in particular with this film, he is layering in such a beautifully nuanced human story kind of in the underflow and throughout basically through the amazing performance uh the main performance there um that the style over substance argument i think doesn't really hold any weight here it just is a beautifully stylized nuanced film which is like i mean i've been saying all throughout this so far the the elements of film of sorry uh, cinema verite and this kind of very naturalistic way but 
there are these flourishes where Brisson beautifully lets the camera kind of float in and kind of this ethereal nature, getting into these impossible angles so that we, the audience, can witness the kind of the the acts of pickpocketing and thievery that Michelle and uh, his cohorts are undertaking. The cinematography in this film is fucking fantastic. Um, beautiful black and white cinematography that, like I said, it it's... He picks and chooses his moments, keeping us so far at a distance from Michelle throughout most of the film, always shooting him in mid and wide shots and choosing his important moments when he wants to cut in for a close-up and not just like close-up as in an insert on a hand sneaking into a pocket. But it is those like when he chooses to go in or those slow push-in moments, actually in particular, like the performance uh, that is given by, I'm going to, I forget his name. Where have I got it written down? to get my shit in order um uh by martin lasell um he it's, it's when they focus in on his eyes that just beautiful performance it's he really manages to get across the sadness and the lost nature of michelle as a character and i mean simultaneously kind of going in with that cinematography as well the hand in hand with it is the editing the the kind of crisp nature it's it doesn't feel like a 1959 verite film really like the way that he's constructing it it's the sharpness of the edits and how it it's a very quick film 115 minutes like very short and to the point but the editing and the cinematography together, that combination just absolutely makes the film drive. And it has this constant perpetual forward motion, which is really interesting because for 95% of the film, there is no music. Uh, That's the other kind of interesting thing, the lack of music, yet still through the editing and the cinematography, the propulsive nature of the film, um, that's fucking amazing to be able to pull something like that off. And it isn't until kind of that third, that final moments in the third act where the music finally kicks in. Um, so what I'm going to do now is uh, there is a fantastic uh, essay that is included uh, with the Criterion Edition uh, written by Gary Indiana, um, it's pretty funny, actually. He opens the essay by uh, saying that Pickpocket was the first film he ever watched on LSD. Uh, wild, wild thing to <laughs> like experience and divulge, uh, divulge I guess. But uh, anyway, um, but throughout that essay, he kind of uh, really hits the nail on the head in terms of what the film and Brisson is doing kind of um, thematically with it. Um, basically he talks about how Michelle's, his, his crimes never kind of, uh, his crimes never rise above the level of common small time transgressions. They're kind of only enlarged to this epic scale through his kind of own neurological and kind of his own imagination. Um, Michelle steals, uh, <clears throat> because it is the only act that makes him feel alive in a world becoming dead. Uh, not only dead to pleasure and unprogrammed emotions, but, uh, as later Brisson would make more explicit, organically dead. Um, which is a really interesting thing. And again, something that heightens, like, you know, not heightens, but uh, is kind of the driving force behind Taxi Driver, what uh, Paul Schrader ends up writing and creating uh, with the Travis Bickle character. It is almost transposing the exact same character of Michelle, this kind of person who has these ideas, uh, kind of delusions of grandeur in terms of what their own emotional impact or their own kind of sense of worth actually has and kind of that empty void uh, that they're kind of consisting of within their life and then having to use these delusions to be able to kind of 
reach out beyond that and kind of make something greater out of this kind of nothing nothingness and this kind of almost dark hatred for what the world has become. Um, he kind of also, uh, sorry, Gary Indiana also writes that, like all Brisson films, um, Pickpocket records the expiration of humane feeling in the modern world, the impossibility of decency in a universe of greed. And I find that really, really interesting. And that, like I said, hits the nail really on the head with what Michelle is as a character. He is this lost soul who is kind of sees the world around him as a broken place and, you know, where he is currently in his situation of life, being unable to kind of reach beyond that and, you know, go into this kind of unattainable world. And through his actions, he's not only being able to give purpose and meaning to his life, but actually have a physical embodiment of achieving like you know getting something that is unattainable making that attainable and not only that like by attaining it by getting that he's able to kind of push forward and in his own mind make something better of his life and kind of move forward and I think that's also obviously what uh Travis Bickle ends up doing but in a bit more of a violent way I guess and I mean the other big kind of similarity between um, Pickpocket and Taxi Driver, of course, is the voiceover narration. Like, I mean, obviously in Taxi Driver, Schrader and Scorsese are the the narrative driving force there. It's actually explicitly put forward as diary entries, whereas with Pickpocket, we're kind of it's we're not even sure if it is just Michelle's inner monologue kind of retelling his story, or if they are diary entries. It's kind of never explicitly said, but it's giving us that insight and that glimpse into the psyche of the character. And I think both films, if you didn't have that as your kind of narrative driving force, um, they would be very, they, they wouldn't be the films that they are. They just wouldn't work inherently. Like as good as the visuals are for Bo- for Pickpocket, having that insight into Michelle's psyche and that kind of inside glimpse into what is making him tick, why he is doing all of this through that use of the of the voiceover narrative, it just helps, again, for the connection of the audience as well as hammering home that point of what this is all about and what this is all kind of leading towards. And at that point, I might as well bring up the fact of Martin LaSalle's performance. I mentioned it briefly before. He is absolutely fucking incredible in this film, I think. Uh, he is a, at the time of shooting, he was a non-actor. He was just a uh, regular dude. A, I believe he was a Uruguayan as well. Um, he is incredible and I, I have to imagine it is that kind of non-professional, the fact that he wasn't an actor, bringing this kind of wide-eyed innocence. He looks like a baby deer caught in headlights for a lot of the film. And again, just that look on his face and the way that Brisson chooses to kind of showcase his eyes and that kind of meekness. Because he is a very handsome man. He strikes a very tall, interesting attractive figure but the way that Brisson is presenting him in the film you you feel this kind of lost soul this kind of sadness to him and that's all through his beautifully emotive performance that has very little dialogue it is all just in the way that he presents his body language and his facial expressions it's incredible I think and obviously having that little thing of obviously being wide-eyed and new to the whole filmmaking process I'm sure probably helped with that but it is such a gripping performance. Like, you just feel for the guy, or at least I did. I couldn't help but connect with him. Um, 
I'm going to kind of start wrapping it up here now. Um, just, I mean, I've kind of babbled on by myself here for quite a while on this one. Um, as I said at the beginning, I was kind of unsure what to expect with this, having found a lot of Brisson's films so far being hit and miss or kind of without... But again, I put that on me for that lack of context. But this is one I'd heard a lot about and it didn't disappoint. I really, really enjoyed this film. It is a brisk uh, 100, uh, 115 minutes long, short, quick, punchy watch that packs an emotional weight and beautiful cinematic styling behind it that I think um, is going to be hard to beat in terms of Brisson's, uh, the rest of his uh, oeuvre, if you will. Um, but that being said, I've heard that A Man Escaped is absolutely fucking amazing, so... I'm going to definitely check that one out. Um, but yeah, I, I really dug this film and would highly recommend it. Um, I've talked a lot about uh, Taxi Driver, the Martin Scorsese film. So I think it's probably about time that we uh, dip into a new uh, segment that we have here on the show. And that's, uh, what did Marty think of the film? Right, so I'm cheating a little bit with this one. It's I don't actually have uh, any quotes from Martin Scorsese himself, but as I've said multiple times, this film is a direct influence on uh, Paul Schrader and the construction of Taxi Driver. And, you know, that is obviously very evident with Scorsese as well in that film. So while I don't have any direct quotes from Marty, I do have uh, some stuff from Paul Schrader. A uh, longtime collaborator of Scorsese and obviously writer of Taxi Driver. Um, he actually does a video introduction to Pickpocket on the Criterion edition. Uh, you can find that on the DVD and Blu ray as well as on the Criterion channel. But I just kind of cherry picked one or two little things that I thought were really great of uh, why Schrader connected with this film. He, he watched it uh, when he was working as a film reviewer um, in 1969, and uh, he ended up writing about the film for two weeks straight just because he couldn't get it out of his mind and kind of had connected with it so hard. Um, but I just like, I'm just going to read this one simple quote that he says, I realized you can make a film about a man in his room and his room. You can make a film about a soul, a soul transit. The character of Michelle, it's almost an idea. It's Dostoevsky in. He's a criminal with a capital C, the ideological criminal. But there's another agenda running, and it's not the agenda of a crime movie, and it's not even the agenda of a dialectic movie, a movie about morality. And there's another agenda working, which is the agenda of a soul that can't find a place. And I just think that is the perfect summation of this film, and obviously the driving force that he would then take into uh, writing his film Taxi Driver, which would come out about three years after him first seeing Pickpocket. So, yeah, there we have it. That is uh, Paul Schrader's thoughts on Pickpocket. But how about we move into a little bit of trivia about this film? There isn't a whole lot, but what I've got is uh, the film was nominated for the Golden Bear at the 1960 Berlin Film Festival and was listed as the fourth best film of 1959 by Cahé du Cinema. It's also included in the 1001 Movies to See Before You Die and on Roger Ebert's list of great movies. Um, at the time that I'm recording this, the uh, new 2022 Sight and Sound uh, list has come out, and I was actually intrigued to see that uh, Pickpocket was not included. So, there we go. Um, 
The other kind of interesting bit of uh, trivia here is that the film was banned in Finland until 1965 uh, because of its depictions of authentic pickpocketing, pickpocketing techniques. So there you go. <laughs> um, but let's move on to the actual Criterion edition itself. Uh, the film is still in print and in both Blu-ray and DVD formats, as well as available on the Criterion to stream on the Criterion channel. And it comes with an audio commentary from film scholar James Quand, introduction by writer-director Paul Schrader, The Models of Pickpocket, a 2003 documentary by Babette Magnolet. Yeah, why not? We'll say that. Magnolt? That'll work. Uh, the feature inter- uh, that features interviews with actors from the film. Uh, interview with director Robert Brisson from a 1960 episode of the French television program Cinema Parano- Panorama. Uh, Q&A on Pickpocket from 2000 uh, featuring actor Marika Green and filmmakers Paul Vichali and Jean-Pierre Amaris. Uh, footage of the sleight-of-hand artist and pickpocket consultant Kasagi from the 1962 episode of the French television show I'm not. E- no, I'm not even going to bother, bother trying to pronounce that one. That's a that's a that's a tough French word. Um, as well as the trailer and the essay that I had mentioned uh, uh, from Gary Indiana previously. Um, how about a tagline? Have I got one for this? Let me think. This is a tough one. Um, all right, off the top of my head, let's just go with. Sometimes you need to steal to feel alive. That works. Uh, so yeah, that will wrap us up for our episode looking at Robert Brisson's 1959 film Pickpocket. Uh, we're going to be back. Uh, as I'd said at the beginning, I have been absolutely under the pump at work. Um, I've been working my little butt off on uh, getting a film out in cinemas, which is actually, at the time I'm recording this, uh, coming out in a week or two's time. Uh, so shameless plug if you live in Australia, uh, go check out Triangle of Sadness opening on Boxing Day. Um, it's, a, it's a fun little film. Obviously, the Palm Door winner this year. And uh, yeah, I've been uh, working real hard getting that thing out there. So please go see it and uh, support uh, seeing films in cinema, the cinematic experience. It is a great one to go and see with an audience. That's all I'll say. Uh, but now that that's kind of wrapping up and we're moving into the holiday period, I'm going to be kind of easing up a bit with work again. And I I will be able to get these episodes out on a little bit more of a regular kind of fashion. So with any luck, uh, in a week or two's time, I'm going to be back uh, looking at Francois Truffaut's 1960 film, Shoot the Piano Player. Another one I've heard a bit about, so I'm intrigued to kind of finally check this out. I think it's Paul Thomas Anderson's a big fan of this one, but uh, I could be wrong, but... I'll soon find out. Uh, So I will be back uh, in a week or two's time with that. Uh, In the meantime, uh, even though I've been a little bit quiet here on the main feed, we've been still going over on the Patreon. Uh, Our good friend and our regular guest, Toby, has been filling in uh, for Lee over there. And uh, what we've been doing over the last month or two is kind of diving into those fun uh, kind of mid-90s action movies, the kind of adult thrillers and action movies. So we've done uh, The River Wild, and uh, coming up we've got a good one that'll be dropping on January 1st. So uh, head on over to the Patreon. Uh, Any support to the show is greatly appreciated, and we love everyone that kind of helps keep the lights on and helps pay the server costs and all of that over there. But uh, otherwise, uh, you can send us an email um, on Letterboxd, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff's in the episode notes as per usual. 
But again, uh, thank you all for listening and uh, supporting the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, rate, review, all of that junk. But I will be back in a week or two's time with Shoot the Piano Player. But for this week's episode, I'm Chris. We'll see you next time. <laughs>